Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by your decision to tune in today and invest in yourself. Here at the Business Creators Radio Show, we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from the intersection of your brilliance and passion. And we are business creators. We have our entrepreneurs, small business owners, local business owners. We have the marketing and business coaches, consultants, and mentors. We have the folks who help others create their businesses and the do-it-yourselfers like to have your own hands on the levers. So if you're one or more of the above, and many of our listeners who tune in every week are all of the above, explore episodes, discover how we can serve you at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also, while you're on the website, click on the icon to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Every five-star rating helps us serve more business creators just like you. Be sure to subscribe. You will get immediate access to over 250 episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to business creators today and fresh content directly to your iTunes every week. Today, we are going to get into a topic that... Our listeners have written to us and asked for more of, and that has to do with landing profitable corporate clients. There are some differences. There are some nuances between the steps that it takes to land a corporate client versus an entrepreneurial client. Many of our listeners, most of you who are listening, are owners of small businesses, one to five employees. You're more entrepreneurial than corporate in spirit. And when you deal with corporations, some of you have told me, I'm just telling you what's been repeated to me. They say, you oh, know, dealing with corporations, that's why I quit my job. Well, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to take that mindset and set it aside. Because people who work in corporations and the corporations themselves are just like us. They have a market. They have a mission. They fulfill a need. They serve a purpose. They contribute to the world through the intersection of their brilliance and passion. It's just a matter of understanding the playing field. Today, we have somebody to help us do just that. Her name is Kim Chernecki, and let me just tell you a little bit about her. She's the president and founder of Freedom Street, Inc., and is known as Canada's leading expert and mentor who trains consultants and small business owners on how they can strategically land and keep a steady roster of high-paying corporate clients. She's a top-rated sales executive, facilitator, coach, small business advisor, and speaker. She's been recognized as the corporate client whisperer. As a 25-year entrepreneur, Kim has consulted with executives from 100-plus leading North American and Fortune 1000 companies and has herself started up and helped grow eight businesses and business divisions. Certainly somebody who probably knows at least one thing about today's topic. So, Kim, why don't you just come dive on in? The weather's fine. Well, thanks for the introduction, Adam. That's uh, that's amazing. Yeah, and I, I love what you said about, um, you know, well, I, I wanted to leave corporate to, uh, you know, so why do I want to sell back into it? I love that comment. That's fun. <laughs> it's something it's something we see all the time, and it's an adjustment I had to go through as my business evolved, and I started working with companies that are either corporate or had a corporate mindset, and I was getting feedback either explicitly stated or just through the results I was getting is I was being viewed as, oh, wait a minute, that's 
that's one of those unemployable people we occasionally have to deal with that we're secretly glad when they finally quit and go start their own business. So why did he run his own business and leave us alone? We have an org chart to follow here. He's going to come in and disrupt everything. And, uh, yeah, and I, and I say that because I was one of those unemployable people. <laughs> and uh, And I had a lot of issues with how – people were judged as human beings based on where they fell on an org chart. I mean, I worked for companies that were obsessed with the organizational chart. I remember I, I remember one time that I was working for this mid-sized company, and somebody went to my supervisor and said they overheard a conversation I was having with somebody, and they wanted my supervisor to remind me of what my title was and where I fell on the org chart. Oh, my God. Which, <laughs> which, uh, which he – which he told me as he chuckled about it because he, he thought the person was a pompous ass, basically. So, <laughs> exactly. So, so, a couple, so, a couple, so a couple years later, uh, after I had left that job, I ran to this person in a bagel shop. And they came up and said, oh, Adam, how are you doing? I said, excuse me, you will refer to me as Mr. President or Mr. Homie. I am a president. <laughs> I am a CEO. You'll recognize where I stand in the organizational chart. The only person who calls me Adam is your CEO. Got it? <laughs> Like, so there. <laughs> yeah. So, oh no. So I, this, so I bring up some of this stuff because I just want our readers and our listeners to understand some of the tension that goes behind this whole thing of getting into corporate situations. And what we want to do over the next 50 minutes or so is we want to dispel that because we want people to understand that when you have that type of thing come up, it can be easily moved past and. When you recognize the power of what Kim's going to share with you today, you're going to find yourself saying, boy, I'd like to get some of those cool corporate clients. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, it's interesting you say that because I actually love the corporate organism, if you will. Like, it's kind of neat how how it works. And like you, I just – I – kind of felt like an imposter like there was just always something even with entrepreneurial organizations that I worked with it just because it wasn't my thing it wasn't my vision it was somebody else's vision right and so but I do love selling back into it because you can work with a corporate without being of corporate so it's really really cool actually really empowering yeah, and and that's the balance we want to strike. I couldn't say it better myself, so I'll leave your word stand. Now, what we like, well, now what we like to do here at Business Creators Radio before we dive into the main topic of what we're going to cover, and I know you got some great stuff for our listeners today. Is we like to first of all read off the person's official bio and intro, like you provided for us, and I read off a few minutes ago. Yep. Uh, but what we want to do is we want to get a little bit deeper. Some of our listeners right now have opened a separate browser tab. They're Googling you. They may be on your website. They're trying to figure out who you are. So let's tell them. So share with us a little bit more about your journey and what's you, brought you to the place where you are today serving business creators from the intersection of your brilliance and passion and how in doing so you got to be known as the corporate client whisperer. Wow, what a great what a great question. Um, well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I spent 25 years working for other organizations. I did a number of business startups and all that. But as I, you know, just shared, I just never felt quite right. And I always wanted to know, you know, what is my purpose? And what I really came to realize, it was helping other people tap into their purpose and to be able to create thriving businesses, similar to what you're doing. And, you know, in terms of the corporate client whisperer, throughout 
throughout my 25 plus year professional career, I always had a kind of a sales or business development role throughout. And, you know, during that time sold millions of dollars in corporate contracts. But in the earlier years, I was really selling products, right? But then about 12, yeah, yeah, I mean, selling products like tangibles, right? Then about 12 years ago, I shifted to selling services. So what I did is I joined a small sales training company. It was kind of a startup company where we sold sales training into large corporate organizations and basically, you know, helped them to sell better. And for uh, those of you on the on the uh, the program or listening to the program who've sold products and then shifted to selling services, it's a whole different ball game. <laughs> and oh, it's yeah. much oh, it's so much more challenging because it's intangible, right? So anyway, right. this this um, company I was working for, it was called Fusion Learning. And near the uh, end of year one, I thought I was just, you know, really great salesperson and so forth. So it was the end of year one, and I was in total panic mode because I wasn't near to hitting my numbers my first year. And that had never happened before. And I, I thought I was going to be fired. And, you know, at that time, I was in a desperate situation. I had just closed down my own first training and coaching business because uh, I had a partnership break uh, breakup, which had left me high and dry financially. I had no uh-huh. choice but to make things work at this organization. And so I was in like kind of a dark night of the soul kind of situation and but however my coach at that time said he had confidence in me in me and if anyone could do it it was me so what I had to do and that was about month 12 at that organization I had to crack the code on that on that service selling thing so make a long story short rejigged my strategy, my execution, and I did it. I cracked the code. And um, in years two and three, I totally blew my targets out of the water. And that was back in 2008, if you remember, through that worldwide economic crisis. And I was actually selling into financial institutions. So totally blew my numbers out of the water. And then year after year, achieved 40% year-over-year growth and making way more money into the multiple six figures that I'd ever made before and actually helped grow that sales training organization into one of the top 10 in North America. So all that to say, not to brag, but just to say that I took what I learned around how to really sell services as well as best practices of how to sell, you know, B2B um, and uh, and then turned it into a proven system to help, um, you know, consultants and coaches and other service-based uh, businesses to knock it out of the park selling their services. So the, uh, to answer this a long-winded way of saying the corporate client whisperer is, you know, I really know how to navigate corporate as a um, service provider um, and as a consultant and a coach and, you know, other service-based businesses. So there you go. That's that's why we're so happy to have you here. So <laughs> what is this? You mentioned the $500 billion opportunity that most small businesses miss. And I think what you mean by that is the $500 billion opportunity to do work with corporate clients. So tell us more about that at a deeper level so we can begin to appreciate what we have on our hands here. Sure, sure. Well, um, I'm from Toronto, Canada, and, uh, you know, I've done extensive research with, you know, procurement experts and so forth, and Corporate Canada spends over $500 billion on third-party service providers. So in the U.S., multiply that by 10. So for you guys, it's what? Right. What is that? Uh, five, five trillion? <laughs> yeah, multiply it's, by it's, ten, it's, right? It's, it's tr- it, it is a trillion type number, yes. It is definitely a trillion type number. And so in Canada, I mean, of that five hundred billion, 
$13 billion alone is spent on consulting, $7 billion alone on training, and that in- totally includes the small business services. So, just, so, and why I say that small businesses miss it is I see so many small business owners out there not pursuing um, corporate contracts because, for, well, for a number of reasons, but what I see is because they feel intimidated about approaching it, yeah. or they don't know where to start, or they haven't sold before, they haven't sold themselves before into corporate, or they don't know how right. to get to decision makers, and all that can be figured out. So the key, if I can say, in what the opportunity is, is finding a burning need that a corporate decision maker or an organization has be, and be able to address that need and then you know, find a, create a consistent professional approach to get in there and, and uh, tell them about it. That's a simplified version, but that's, that's the 500 billion. And in your, in the case of the U.S., 500, or sorry, five trillion dollar opportunity. <laughs> yeah, we got a lot of opportunities here. And mm-hmm. I mean, if you look, at, if you look at all the uh, indicators on the growth of small and medium sized businesses, I uh, like the NFIB, and there are other organizations that track yep. this stuff that I check in with on a monthly basis. Uh, I mean, I mean, check the outlets that actually look at economical growth factors, not that crap they sell you on mainstream media so-called news. And yep. you'll notice that all the arrows are pointing in the right direction. Uh, totally. It's a very good time. Anywhere in the world, things are going up. It's not just here in the United States, and it's not just in Canada. Everywhere things are going up. And for all the concerns that people have about some possible changes in trade policies and some of the things that I've been conversing with my Canadian friends about just over these past few weeks or what have you. What I want to remind people historically is that every change creates an opportunity and the intelligent, perceptive people focus on, okay, this is a change. Where's the opportunity? Where does my experience and passion come in to serve this? Because it's going to create new needs. It's going to create new markets. It's going to create new things that need to be served that are looking for you. So keep that optimistic outlook no matter what happens in the world, what happens in business, and what happens in life. And one of those things, of course, is uh, how do I get into corporate when I'm all entrepreneurial and everything, <laughs> like we and, discussed earlier. Absolutely. Adam, if I can just add to what you just said, I mean, That's and with the, with the disruptions that are going yeah. on in every single industry, there's just yeah. going to be more and more and more need and opportunity for small business owners, you know, consultants or, or whatever to be able to, to capitalize on and help corporations navigate that change. Right. Let me remind everybody else, too, that if you look at it from a human resources perspective and you look at it from an employment perspective, the shift over the past 20 years, ever since I was in MBA school pursuing my human resource management uh, concentration, is we've seen a big shift toward independent contractors, toward consultants, as larger companies, as corporations have recognized that it is more economical and more viable for them to bring in specialists to deal with unique situations and issues that come up. So as a consultant, you have a unique value to an organization that needs what you do, but it has an end date. They're not going to bring on a full-time employee for that. In fact, they would prefer to have somebody come in and solve it for them. Consultants, Consultants, coaches, that's you. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And to to build on that, Adam, is and, and of course you would know you would know this figure as well. I mean, they um um research shows that by twenty year twenty twenty, forty percent of the world's workforce will be freelance. And that includes executives, right. freelance executives as well as freelance, you know, uh, professionals. And it's funny, yep. in Toronto we're already at fifty percent. Yeah, I yeah, I have a couple friends in Toronto. I have a people I in business I deal with who are Canadians, so I'm somewhat in tune with what's going on politically, economically and everything else in Canada. So I am aware that Toronto in many cases is on the leading edge and in the first division of some of the evolutionary processes we're seeing in the environment of business. Oh, cool! Yeah, that's no, that's great. Yeah, we've got a, a huge um, uh, technical hub uh, startup kind of centers in Toronto, which is which is great. You do too in the states. That yeah, Toronto's a big hub, so for sure. Right. Yeah, just like where I'm from originally, which is Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, yep. You still see have a few people there that are waiting for those steel mills to reopen. But here's here's how you know that we've moved past that type of steel. Because in the United States, most of the steel production at this point is specialty steel. But, yep. the, but like, like the stuff that you know, my grandfather worked in the steel mill. So I, I, I'm, I'm pretty close to it myself. And the way you know that the old-fashioned steel production is not coming back to Pittsburgh is a lot of the technology parks are in renovated steel mills. Mm. Because wow. Pittsburgh has, because Pittsburgh is one example of a city like Toronto has taken a leadership role in innovative technology. Right. Yeah, it's very cool. And just to your point, it's just creating more opportunity. You just have to adapt from the old ways, right? Yeah, seize upon that. Technology yep. center inside renovated steel mills. That's so cool. <laughs> the thing that was the thing that was built a hundred years ago to do this one thing is now been updated to do this completely different thing. That's the power of being a coach, being a consultant, being somebody who can serve a corporate client. So in terms of this little pep talk that you and I have just given our audience, <laughs> why aren't more small business owners doing it? Why aren't they pursuing corporate clients? Why aren't they? I, and I really think it, it comes down to the intimidation factor, you know, or they don't know how to get to a decision maker, right? It's. I think it really right. comes – that's really what I see. It's the intimidation factor or where do I start? I mean, I work with a lot of executives, and they even feel that way. So, um, And it's just that they, they just don't know the steps, you know. And I, I think also, you know, uh, and this is this is to me one of the biggest one of the if, if you get nothing out of uh, else out of today it's this is and, and I'm kind of jumping ahead here but if you can make it all about the client all about the person that you're meeting with trying to solve a problem for them you know what people will hire you <laughs> it's just tapping into that need into that problem and um and not make it's not about you it's about the value you can provide so that to me right there is one way that you can solve that intimidation factor but you know uh it, it's just a matter of of uh, really getting clear on that but um yeah i mean it, it's really i think it comes down to the intimidation factor right and not knowing so we, where to start yeah i know and we spoke about this just a few moments ago yeah. Uh, in terms of why would companies want to use services from small businesses versus the large vendors and suppliers. We covered some of the evolutionary shifts in business that have skewed things in favor of the small business, the smaller consultants. What other factors are there? 
Yep, absolutely. Um, well, you know, to your point, small businesses, consultants, coaches, all, all of that are a hot commodity because typically very well priced, right? So you think about large companies, they're going to charge a lot more. So typically well priced, favorably priced. Also, small business owners have greater flexibility in delivery and also usually a deeper level of expertise, right? Like people who are just, you know, kind of focused on one thing or, for example, you know, people who were in corporate before and got were in the trenches and got a, you know, really, really great experience. You know, when you look at the, for, for example, um, bigger consulting firms, you know, they have a lot of, you know, and not, not bashing them or anything like that, but they cost well, a lot of not- money and there's a lot of juniors, a lot of junior people there who don't have the deep corporate trench in the trenches experience so it's really all about price flexibility um, and expertise level of expertise right that's very true when when you look at a lot of some of your most successful entrepreneurial ventures these are people who did time in corporate I you know being in the entrepreneurial world I see all these flashes in the pan that went to this one seminar and paid $10,000 for the deluxe mastermind package, and they're <laughs> now following a template, and they've declared themselves, and I mean and I mean, no disrespect to yep. um, a certain group of people, but they are now the next hot and exciting Facebook ads experts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, and I and I know some personally that are very good at that. But and, yep. and, in fact, the reason I bring that up is because these folks sometimes have to fend off marketing challenges from upstarts that have never actually done it or maybe have run one campaign and managed to not get their ads banned and now suddenly they're experts. Meanwhile, I have these friends of mine that have been doing it consistently and getting great results for five years that have to fend off these flashes in the pan that uh, know how to be, you know, know how to strike the right tone in their YouTube videos that they use for marketing. Come on. But when you look at somebody, when you look at somebody who has the experience, Yep. corporate and is out taking that outside. I mean, I was only in corporate for five years and I never rose beyond the lower level supervisory level before I jumped into, uh, where I jumped into entrepreneurship. But yep. from being in the trenches for five years, and even though it was a while ago, I still have enough of that that I understand a lot of the communications issues that go into it. Uh, somebody yep. reads my book, Groundhog, is an ad- Groundhog Day is an Event, Not a Business Strategy. I get so excited I mess up the title. Groundhog <laughs> Day is an Event, Not a Business Strategy. Uh, I actually share some stories from that era of my life. And there's one story in particular that would be really good. It's outside the scope of what you and I are talking about. Yeah. And it was actually outside the book, so I had to leave it out. So I'm just going to have to tease my listeners that one day I'm going to tell you about the blizzard. <laughs> what, about the witch? The blizzard. The blizzard. Oh, my God. You yeah. got me. You've got me intrigued for sure. I love Groundhog Day. Y'all, <laughs> y'all got it just on the edge of your seats right there. But my point <laughs> in bringing all this up is, you know, you, you know, these, you, know you as a as a small business or as an independent consultant looking to get into a large company, you have stories. You have a viewpoint that is so valuable to them. And I think that's, Kim, what you're saying is why this is why a corporation would want to use your services. Because in some cases, you're a breath of fresh air. Yep. You got it. Absolutely. Lots I mean, of I, opportunity. I look, yeah. I look at some corporate organizations. I'm not going to pick on anybody. And I'm not going to say this is good or bad. I'm going to leave it to your own judgment. But it's like, boy, I see a lot of buzzwords and a lot of corporate speak and a lot of, let's make sure that we word this in just a certain way. Yeah. A lot of your innovative corporations want that person's going to come in and kick a little ass. 
Exactly. And, and, and you know heart, what? Coming from the, I was going to say, coming from the outside, you can come in and kick some ass because you know you're that third party objective person who is, and they're hiring you for that, and you almost come with more credibility as well because you're not, you know, you're you're because you're you're outside and you're providing that broader perspective. So you're right on. Yeah, you know, there's an old there's an old joke about consultants is that these are people that get paid twenty five thousand dollars to come in and tell corporate executives what they already know and provide them with the opportunity to claim that they're working on a solution. Well, there's another side to that because every good joke has every good joke has an element of truth in it. Yep. The outside consultant coming in saying things the company already knows means it gets said in a way that the company itself cannot. Yeah. Yeah. That's important. You're right on. And if that's, You're right on. That, that's your play. You can be a very powerful facilitator or at least catalyst of change, and that's yep. what they're paying you for. Because if a consultant comes in and says, yeah, you people have it all wrong and you need to reorganize it, now you, what you're doing is you're getting paid to give management cover to say, well, we had an outsider look at it, and facts are facts, so let's do this stuff. And who do you think they're going to hire to manage that for them? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Again, for the same reason, because they need a third party to facilitate that. That's yep. you. Yeah, absolutely. The same, it's the same reason that when uh, we have disputes with folks, we'll sometimes send a third party to act as an intermediator because yep. your message will come through much differently when spoken through somebody else's mouth. You yep. are that other mouth. Absolutely. So now, well, all we got to do is, I mean, it sounds exciting to me. I'm ready to go get some corporate clients this afternoon. I mean, I'm good with this. <laughs> so let's, let's get a little bit practical here. So we have a small business owner, independent consultant, whatever you want to call it. How can we get them to the right decision maker sooner rather than later? Sure, sure. I mean, and it, it's it, it's a, it's a process, but you know, um, in my experience and what I've seen with uh, you know hundreds of my clients is the first step is to re the very first step is to reach out and to leverage your network and and ask until you find out who the decision makers are in organizations. So, um, to, you know, to, to very simply put, you know, you want to target, you know, the organizations that you want to go into. I'd like to say, you know, um, figuring out who your ideal target client is, that is, you know, what position, you know, um, uh, you know what industry vertical and so forth. And then you want to reach out and leverage your network and keep asking until you find out who the right decision makers are in organizations. So it's always good to start with industries and organizations that you know or have connections to and then yep. go direct to source as long um, as, you know, you've done research um, and, you know, and that your communications are customized, well thought out and, comp and no cold calling. So I guess my <laughs> kind of my thing is uh, I'm of the point of view when you talked about having a viewpoint is that, uh, no cold calling. You know, cold calling doesn't really work. There's always a connection. There's always a way to warm up your communications. So, and it, that starts out by leveraging your network um, and don't doing and not doing any of those mass generic email campaigns. Doesn't work or it doesn't work well. So, um, and then. So, you know, so let's just say that you reach out, to, so you, you know, reach out who you think the decision maker is, 
um, you know, you can uh, contact them. And if it's not them, they'll typically tell you who to talk to. Oh, you know, you know, I, m- I remember doing this a couple of weeks ago. I reached out to, you know, the president of this of this uh, one career transition firm, and he said, and I got an email, and it was a very targeted, customized, well thought out email. And he said, oh, you know. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not the person you should be talking to. You should be talking to our chief strategy officer. And I got that communication within a half an hour. So, and I had first reached out to them, you know, kind of through someone in my network who knew somebody. So, you know, that whole saying six degrees of separation, I think there's only two yeah. degrees. <laughs> so that's really, I think it, it comes de- down to, and of course, you can you can reach out through LinkedIn and you can do research and all that. But I always say leverage who you know, leverage your network to do the research and find out who those decision makers are, and then reach out to them. Yeah, I think that's I think that's great. And you know, there's some I want to introduce this. I'm not going to name names, but I know somebody. Yeah. Uh, and this is and this is somebody that I've done some work with actually that made a very interesting discovery going to an industry seminar mm-hmm. last year. Now, this person, is, they, they own a consulting firm, and they do consulting in their industry. They're one of those independent consultant types, somebody who was corporate for a long time and has now gone independent. And they actually have, in, within the past year, ramped up their independent consulting. They've sort of taken a step back from it, but now they've really ramped up, and they've got a lot of clients now. Things are going great. And yep. they found, this is a very interesting thing since we're talking about networking, they have a website that serves as an information portal for news, tactics, and strategies in their industry. So when they went to the conference, they went to the conference as the editor-in-chief of that website, not as the owner of their consulting firm. And hmm. because they have a very strong communication strategy through that website, it has a very robust email marketing plan. It offers a lot of free trainings. It offers a lot of downloadable resources. It does a lot of advertising. A lot of folks at that conference were familiar with that website, that information portal, and it opened up a lot of conversations because this person was being viewed as the celebrity figurehead of that information portal rather than as another person with a business card. That is a great story. That is a great point, actually. <laughs> really yeah. great point. And uh, this person got several clients as a result of that strategy. And then and let, me, let me put it another way. They didn't even realize it was a strategy. They just, uh, they just went and announced that they were there as the editor-in-chief of that information portal, and people came running. Yep, it's all about positioning, isn't it? Yeah, because, because since, they were, uh, since they were coming into the – in the conversation as a giver rather than a requester, people were already in the mode of how do I give back to this person? How do I in turn reach this influential person? Yep. Nice. That's a different, that's a different conversation. Now uh, here's my business card. I, I was in a networking event uh, last week, Kim, and um, I've, I, you know, this, one of the three organizations I belong to, and my name tag has the word consultant on it. So every time I get there, they say, Adam, what kind of consulting do you do? They don't even bother to introduce themselves. They just walk up, look at my name tag, and say, so what kind of consulting do you do? <laughs> I, I, have, I have applied and requested that their administrator issue me a new name tag that says author. Because I'll tell you about <laughs> Groundhog Day as an event, not a business strategy all day long. And this actually goes to the point of yep. – 
what we're saying here is when I enter those conversations as an author, now I get to speak about what I do from a storytelling perspective. Because, yeah, yeah, I am an author. I'm the author of the international bestseller, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy. And, you know, it's funny you should mention that because inside the Groundhog book, I tell the story of, and by telling the story, I tell them what I do. Or it, right. gives, it, it triggers their process to say, hey, you know what? In my mid-sized corporation that has 500 employees and $3 billion in gross revenues annually, we're having this issue with our customer service. They seem to be really surly toward our customers. Our complaints are way up. And I can say, huh, could be a ripple effect. Yeah. I would love the opportunity to sit down with you or somebody and look at maybe some of the organizational and policy things that are going on in your organization. Because I found through my work, with corporations like yours that people on the front line will take out on their customers what is what they perceive as being taken out on them by management. It's a ripple effect. So yeah. I would love the opportunity to chart this back with you and see if we can identify where the spring is that's leading to this gushing river of discontent and ill will. And we may be able to turn this around for you and get your ratings up. I love that, you know, and I, I love that you focus on stories. That's amazing. Yeah, so my, so my contribution, and this is a, a question that's a little bit outside what we originally planned, is sure. what value what value have you seen when an independent consultant or a small business looking to get into corporate has a published book? Hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting you say that because um, a client that I've just recently been working with, he has – um, three books, and he's looking to to actually uh, launch another one. And we have we have actually put that into his his uh, like. So one of the things that I work on with people is to to have a top twenty five organization campaign. So you identify twenty five organizations that you work on, and part of the strategy was. You know, because he's a sales trainer and he's a coach and he's an author. And and the way that we're going in is the author piece. So I've got this, you know, I have this book and, you know, and and uh, and that that has been getting him in the door way faster than saying he was a sales trainer and coach. So, yeah, no, being a, um, having a, a book is a really great way to, um, to get in. And if I can build on that, too, um, the other thing that we're uh, – it's kind of a second part of – or a different part of his campaign is he's going to be writing a fourth book, and what he wants to do is research um, and have some research interviews with people in corporate. And so what we're suggesting is that he reaches out to these decision makers and said, you know, I would love to engage in a, you know, 15 to 20-minute research interview so that uh, – you know, and that will be fodder or content for my next book. So people, like, love that because they love to share their expertise and so forth so that's another way of getting in is actually you know and it doesn't have to be a book it could be a special report or a white paper so I love that question Adam like um, either positioning your book or doing some research right. on developing a book or another piece of uh, a content piece is a very effective way to get into corporate and to get those meetings Right, because that experience I had last week, and, and the gentleman I was speaking with is a very nice guy, by the way. I am not criticizing him in any way. He was looking at a name tag, it yeah. had the word consultant on it, and he was, uh, he was doing what he believes is effective networking, and perhaps it's gotten him a lot of gigs. I don't know. I didn't get that <laughs> far with it. But what immediately rolled through my mind is, 
I got to get this thing changed because I don't want to answer this question. I wrote the book so I wouldn't have to answer this question. Why are they asking me this question every week? I hate this. Yeah, I, so change I, it to I, author. I, I want to I I I stay home. So, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have that taken care of, certainly. But I wanted to bring that up as another example of some of the tactics we use to get into corporations. And when you think of corporations, you think of people who travel. And what do, people, what do corporate people do when they travel on airplanes? They read. They read books. They you've read books, been, yeah. You, you've, now, you've now given them airplane reading. Yep. Wow. Good point. <laughs> it's all about being creative, isn't it? Being very yeah, creative about, with your approach. That's fantastic. Yeah, you're talking about the right decision maker. When we launched Groundhog Day as an event, not a business strategy, I had folks who, um, you know, in two cases, within 24 hours of that book hitting the bookshelves on February 2nd, I had people who were employees of companies say, uh, hey, is there any chance that you could uh, – Get a copy of that, get an autographed copy of that book over to me uh, because uh, I don't want you to think I'm trying to get a free book out of you. I think that this is something that my manager would be interested in. Wow. Look at that. I Talk about a maker. clever, clever, clever. I love the name Groundhog Day. I'd love, I, well, I'd, I'd love to hear more about <laughs> why, how you came up with that. But anyway, I'm very – I'll, I'll, I'll tell you in two sentences. Uh, okay. And this is and this may be relevant to our listeners as well on your topic of getting corporate clients. Sure. I was on a call with my business coach, and we were speaking about some of the issues of where I wanted to take my consulting practice in 2018 and beyond. And I said, you know, these are the types of things that for a lot of the companies that I want to get into more of, some of these larger companies, and I want to do these larger consulting gigs and speaking gigs and, and corporate training gigs, these are just the issues that for them seems like that movie Groundhog Day over and over and over. Over and over and over and over and over. Yes, brilliant. Plus, if you grew up in the country like me, you'd know that groundhogs are the most adorable little animals. <laughs> oh, you that's funny. That's funny. You, no, you I love you, it. You don't, you don't want to try and pet one unless they approach you because you want to be you only want to be around a, a tame groundhog. They're fierce little animals, which is actually one of the points of my book. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, how can you how can you resist that little face in, in the way they the way they chew their carrots and everything? I'm, I'm thinking I'm, I'm now thinking of all those videos of Punxsutawney Phil that I uh, get fed oh, to yeah. me all the time. Yeah. Oh yeah, and we have gra- we have uh, what's ours up here? Ours is um, oh let's, oh my god, I can't believe I can't remember what ours is. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah, I know you have your own local groundhog. I just we can't do. Think of name. It's totally. You know what? It's totally. Um, it, um, Waterton Willie. Wyatt and Willie. Thank you, Wyatt and Willie. <laughs> that's that's him. Yeah, that's him. Right, right. So, um, so in addition to what we've already covered here, and I love these free flowing interviews where it seems like we pre-answer a lot of stuff as we go. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've covered some strategies to make it to the right decision maker, some innovative guerrilla tactics we've ended up talking about. Yep. So what are some other ways, in addition to what we've already covered, to get your message across when you're prospecting? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, what I like, probably one of the best, and this is, gonna, this is not rocket science, but this is one of the most profoundly effective ways to approach corporate decision makers. And I like to call it the one-two punch. And what that is, it is a well-customized, personalized, well-crafted email followed up by a phone call 
three to four days later. Uh-huh. I mean, it, so, it sounds so simple, but it is so effective because what it does, so, um, it, and, you know, it's, it's a well-crafted, personalized, customized email that makes a connection, warms up the email, you know, a great subject line. And, for example, um, Jane Smith referred me to, to uh, or suggested I talk to you, or I, I saw you speak, um, you know, at this event, or I love the article you wrote. Make it brief and impactful, so a really well-warmed-up, well-crafted email, and then followed up, um, uh, like I said, three or four days later by a phone call. It's, it's profoundly effective. And, you know, it's interesting. I'd, I'd like to just share a little story. So um, I like to – I call it the Brad Furtney story. So there was a guy who um, was the director of national sales for a big media company um, up in Canada here. And, uh, you know, I, I did this – so what I did is I did this well-crafted, customized email, and I – what I did is I – the other part – oh, the other part is you want to make sure you really um, research – um, and and really, you know, research the person that you're reaching out to, research the organization, what their challenges are. Um, if you know somebody who, um, you know, knows the industry, to talk to them, see what's top of mind. So I did that with this guy, Brad, uh, Brad Furtney. I actually called uh, a colleague of his. Uh, he kind of knew who he was, but he was in the industry. And I, I wrote this beautiful, well-crafted uh, email, and I, I sent it to him on a Friday. I think it was Friday morning. And it was 7 o'clock Friday night. He actually called me and said, Kim, that was the best email I've ever received. He said, he said it, uh-huh. you, just to- you totally hit it on the nail. You, you obviously took the time to research me, my industry. And, and, and it, he just happened to have a, a need that I tapped right into. He goes, I want to meet with you next week. And so I ended up going in, meeting with him. And then a month later, I was awarded a $95,000 uh, sales training contract. So, um, yeah. you know, so all that to say, so two things, the one-two punch, a really, really well-crafted email, and then if you don't get a, a response right away, then a follow-up three to four days later. But the big, big thing about reaching out to corporate decision makers is you take the time to do the research, and it's all about quality, not quantity. All about quality emails, not quantity. Like none of this math right. stuff doesn't work. Well, not, for, it, not for this type of particular application. Um, yep. You have to look at the business you're in. There are certain things that you can sell that the mass email approach is very effective for. And oh, for sure. And having a consistently consistent email strategy, like having a regular newsletter that goes out, mm-hmm. um, offering regular webinars, give these corporate decision makers or the people who are digging up research for them to consume you. Because in many cases, I uh, totally agree. somebody – because in many cases, if you have somebody corporate who is on your email list, who is showing up to register for your webinars, they're, and you know that they are the executive assistant to, they're doing it on behalf of the person that they're the two of. Yep. Because the CEO is not going to do this stuff. They're looking for somebody else to do it for them. So the more you deliver this content, the more that when they're – CEO or whoever they report to eventually gets around to saying, yeah, hey, Kim, about that, uh, about that thing about the customer service, I, I want you to look into that. Did you find somebody? Yep. You want to be that somebody. Yep. So that's the, creating the brand, your brand awareness. Absolutely. Right. Right. So the strategies can work together. You just have to understand how 
they work together. And, you know, to me, I want to work with a company that's doing a lot of email communication. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I allowed my inbox to overflow, which I never do. And <laughs> I spent half the day just emptying out my inbox. And I didn't just delete them all because I knew there was a lot of stuff that people were actually waiting for answers from me on. Just got a little crazy for a few days. I got a little backdrop happens, you know. And, yep. uh, and, I, and I took the opportunity to trim down the number of lists that I'm subscribed to. Here were the criteria for unsubscribing from things. If it turned out that I subscribed to the thing so many times I was on the list under like four of my email addresses, I reduced it to just one because I only need one copy to read. That's right. number one. The second thing is, since my email piled up for a good two weeks or so, who had been in touch with me four or five times during that two-week period? Those are the keepers. Ah. The one that was only in touch with me once during that two-week period those were those are the ones where I read it and I decided, is this relevant to me? Is this highly relevant to me now? Right. If it is, then I ask the question, am I friends with this person on Facebook? Am I connected with them on LinkedIn? Because if I am, I don't need their very periodical rare emails. Right. That thought process, I looked at the folks who were in regular contact because those are the ones that are showing me that they want to do business. Right. Yep. That, uh, that's my response to the, yeah, you sent too many emails thing. <laughs> uh, when, it, when it comes to mass emails, or the, only, the, only way you can, the only way you can really screw that up is if you don't send enough to the people who are interested in you. But as you said, Kim, when you're going for a corporate decision maker, dumping them on your list and sending them your newsletter is not going to do it. You need to be strategic and thoughtful. Yeah, at least at the beginning, because I know I completely agree with you around, you know, the email communication and all that, but, you know, at the beginning to, to get that first meeting, and then, you know, let's just say that there's, um, you know, there might be an interest down the road, but not, no interest as of yet. The What you're suggesting is a really great way to stay in touch and stay top of mind until right. there's that burning need, or they have budget, or so forth. The, the Brad Furtney story I shared with you was, uh, I mean, I, it was the perfect storm. It, it, he had a uh -huh. need. It was a top need, and I just tapped right into it, right? But just as what could have happened is he had said, yeah, hmm, you know, this sounds good, but, you know, I'm not going uh, to – I don't need her services for six months from now. Then, you know, you know sending the newsletter, um, adding value, uh, you know, um, adding value is, is going to keep you top of mind until it's time to, um, you know, uh, until it's time to hire you. Yeah, let me tell you a funny story about that is um, I was introduced to somebody years and years ago. This somebody who's actually kind of famous now, but I'm not going to say her name. Uh, she was she was an up and comer at the time, and she was a friend of one of my other clients. And the other clients had said that she that this friend of hers should contact me because right. a friend of hers was looking to potentially do some things in her business that were in line with the things that I offered at the time. So the woman gave me a call while she was getting a pedicure. It was a funny little story there. And we had a conversation, and she said, well, I'll probably be in touch with you pretty soon. Now, I did notice that that person who I had spoken with in the middle of her pedicure did uh, opt into my list later on after I sent her an email saying, nice chatting with you. So yep. she went to my website, saw my opt-in, and she chose herself to keep in touch, which you should always do. You should not be dumping people in your email database. Right. So by, and under any circumstances. So she was just interested enough based on that conversation to see what I was really all about. And the fact that I was persistently consistent meant that uh, even though there was really nothing to say to her at that time, I was still giving her stuff, right? Yep. And so, uh, 
few, maybe it was two months later, it had to have been midnight, and my telephone rang. It was my business line calling, and I saw that it was a Los Angeles phone number, and uh, I was, it actually woke me up, something, okay, most of my clients right now are in Los Angeles. It's probably one of them. And so I, you know, I, I answered the phone, and they were coming through my business line, which means they were announcing themselves before I decide where to take the call. And I heard this woman's name, and I said, I hit one to answer, and it's like, are you getting a pedicure at midnight? <laughs> so like, and she start and she started, she started into, oh, I don't know if you remember me. It's like I just asked you if you're getting another pedicure. Of course I remember you. <laughs> Because I, I knew from the first conversation, this person had sort of a ribald sense of humor, so I could go there with that. With yeah, that, absolutely. That relating to them. And uh, I don't remember anything about the conversation. I just remember that morning when I went into the office and opened up my email, she had written to me saying that she appreciated me taking her call at midnight, and she was eager for me to send the contract so she could sign it today and we could get started. Wow. So I, my, so I had to think to myself, what did I just agree to? <laughs> again <laughs> that's a great story i love it the point, i'm dying the to know who being, it is you're very good at you're very good at seeding it's like but you know like in, in keeping people dangling i'm dying to know who the person is right yeah that that's the, see that's the point behind that story is that uh you know when you, you know there's a time to be consistent with your seed-based marketing and your persistently yep. consistent email communications, being friendly with people on social media, and then you use that to identify who you go for the one-two punch with. As you say, I love that. Um, the perfectly crafted email followed up with the, uh, the, with the correct phone call. That's a strategy that we guide our clients through all the time, actually, because our clients are really more the higher end of things because uh, you know, I have one that's selling info products, so they do the mass list-based thing. But even that client is also moving towards higher-level consulting and yeah. becoming a more strategic approach. And they recognize that they don't need 50,000 people on their list. They need 10 people. And right. it's just a matter of identifying who those people are and reaching out to them appropriately. Yeah, yeah. And you know what's interesting? And, and I, I don't know, just in, in my experience, that whole one-two punch approach that we're just talking about, it seems like common sense, but it isn't always common practice. You know, a lot right. of people won't, don't do that. So it's, it's just a, it's a very simple thing, but very effective. Yeah. So we have about uh, 10 minutes left here. Great. And what I want to do is I want to uh, dive into at least one more area, one more productive area. Sure. And that is, what are some of the mistakes? the small business owners make when they're first meeting with a corporate decision maker and what do they need to do correctly? I think that's going to be a great place to land this plane. Great. Okay, great. Well, okay, so there's, there's a few things, but first of all, one of, the, one of the biggest mistakes I see are pitching uh, corporate decision makers on their service or product too soon before having a proper discovery process. That is one of the biggest things that I, that I, that I see. Um, that they just, you know, it's, they're like a product pusher and they're going in there. You've got to really prepare for and engage in a great, great discovery uh, meeting. So, uh, you know, doing some painstaking preparation before the meeting, doing some research, developing a comprehensive list of questions, plan, oh, and, and this is a big one, planning a well-crafted opening <laughs> to a meeting, like saying, you know, here's the purpose of the meeting, here's what's in it for you, we have 30 minutes or 60 minutes, is there anything else you want to cover? For example, 80% of small business owners, in my experience, 
um, and, you know, in, and corporate decision maker network experience that they've shared with me are people just go into a meeting and start talking. You need to be a trusted advisor and making it all about the customer, which is something I mentioned earlier, and adding value and educating. So that's kind of one of the, the biggest mistakes I see is pitching too soon before having a proper discovery meeting. Um, also, the, the, other, the other big thing I see is, um, you know, jumping to proposal too soon. So they're in a uh-huh. discovery yeah, they're, they're having a discovery meeting, and they hear one need, and then they run off and write a proposal. You have to be sure that it's a top priority need, or you know what? They're not going to hire you, you know? And there's so much that you can do to engage and develop a relationship with corporate decision makers until it's the right time to give them a proposal. So, um, you know, it's, it's a matter of determining where they're at. Is this a top um, priority need? If it isn't, there's so many other things that you can do before you actually write a proposal because if you give them a proposal too soon, you know where they're going to file it? <laughs> In the garbage can. <laughs> because, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of people love yeah. to receive proposals, but it, it, they have to know that they're going to move forward with something before you give them a proposal. That's my, that's my recommendation. Let me give you an opportunity to critique me a little bit, actually, because here's how I deal with it. And I want to get your thoughts on it. If I'm right, sure. I'm right. If you, can, if you can wise me up on some few things, please do it because it's for all of our benefit. Sure. What I discovered is I never want to write a proposal ever. I don't want, mm-hmm. to, I, I don't want to do proposals because if I'm dealing with a proposal, then I have allowed myself to get caught in the wrong language. When I'm dealing with a small business owner, the individual decision maker who can make the decision unilaterally on their own, I will have a multi-step conversation. One of the steps is going to be identifying where their needs are, getting them to answer a bunch of questions, and I normally do it in sort of a roundabout way, right? And I've had people tell me they even recognized what I was doing, just like I conducted this interview. I've been elliptical. I've been roundabout. I've opened a bunch of loops. It hasn't been a strict questionnaire type thing. And that's how I do my fact-finding because I find the more I can get them to talk naturally, the more I will discover. And at the end, I will have the information I need because I have my checklist in front of me that they don't see. And I'm making sure that all these points get covered just through the flow of natural conversation. What I'll say is, Okay, great. What I'd like to do now is I'd like to synthesize everything that you've shared with me. I'd like to give you the opportunity to think about what I've shared with you and to let that play through your mind for a day. And let's schedule our next call where we can discuss the questions and the insights we have for each other. Mm-hmm. We'll schedule that call. I will not hang up until that, until that is scheduled. Nice. And then on the next call, if we're there, I will then, I will then give them my proposal with the number, I will make a I will make a phone close, or if it's in person, an in person pitch to the close. Sure. I will not I will not so much as give them a receipt for anything until they say yes. Right. Got it. I will not send I will not send them a proposal. Um, now, if it's a situation where they represent a committee and the committee has to vote on it, I will not generate anything for that committee until I have a commitment that they themselves are saying yes, and they need to be able to sell it to their board. Yep. I I completely – Yeah, but write us up something so we can look at it. Not happening. That's really interesting. And I I love your approach, and it's interesting because my approach is 
similar in that but what what I'll do is let's just say for example I have a, a you know a, a first meeting with a, a decision maker and we there's an opportunity we determine an opportunity okay they there is some some interest so what I what I'll do is I'll say you know sounds like we've got you know something to explore here what I'd like to suggest is we schedule another meeting to your point and uh, I'm an, and what I put together though is something called a discussion document and what that is it summarizes key things I heard in our discussion and then we start exploring you know then you share I've got a, a whole I, I call it my um, ultimate secret weapon it's like you you kind of share high level what you do and then you start exploring options with them I agree with you. I, I do have it in, in writing. I'll, I'll do it like a like a six yep. to eight slide PowerPoint deck. But then um, I will not give them a proposal unless they're. It's it's basically my proposal is a statement of work. To your that's point. That's just what I was going to say. The, yep. The, the document that would have been the proposal yep. becomes you know if it's a case where I'm actually dealing with the decision maker becomes after they give me the yes and after we yep. get the payment information and everything else worked out I'll say cool I look forward to our first actual call where we begin doing our work together on and I will schedule that so we're actually already in the work Love before it. we end that call and I'll end it with. Oh, and by the way, um, I'm going to send over the paperwork right now that summarizes <laughs> what we've agreed to. And if you could just please, for our mutual records, uh, sign that or give me a reply to the email that says, yes, I approve, and we're good to go. Yep, I love it. Love it. Yeah, it, yeah it, so, we're, so we're very aligned. A little, little bit of a, you know, slightly different tactics, but the, the essence yep. is the same. The, the spirit is the same. Absolutely. Because, yeah. you know what, writing a proposal and, and doing all that, and, oh, when it comes to the number, like to, to to actually provide a proposal and and they don't even know what the number is, it's like you don't want there to be any surprises. It's like a statement of work. So yeah. totally aligned with you. Yeah. If you if you somehow, despite your best efforts, get stuck in the I need to think about it or I need to check with somebody, uh, but you need to protect your rates against your own future rate increases. What yeah. I found is I just send a quick follow up email that says as we discussed, um, you know, the, you know, we will do X, Y, and Z, A, B, and C for this amount. Bear in mind, this amount is good for 30 days until today. So they can't yep. say yes six months later when your rates have gone up and said, but wait a minute. Yep. That's twice what you quoted me six months ago. So for yep. Texas. You know what? That, I love that. 30 days is a really good, uh, is a really good um, figure. I mean, it really, I guess it depends. And if you, yep. also you could have other resources that you're, that you're using and, and going to be bringing into the, the project as well, right? But, yeah, 30 days is a really yep. good um, uh, limiter to put on for sure. Perfect place to land. We've got two minutes left. I want to give one of those minutes to you. Kim, what do you have for our audience today for those who are on the edge of their seat looking to get more? <laughs> well, what I would love is um, I, I've got actually um, three free training videos that go deeper on what we've talked about today plus some other things. So if you go to my website, um, you just go right on the front, and it says, it actually says the $500 billion opportunity most small business owners miss. You can opt in and receive my three free training videos. And is it okay if I share my website? Oh, please. Oh, sure. Okay, so it's, <laughs> yeah. so it's www.freedomstreetinc.com. So freedom, and then spell street, S-T-R-E-E-T. INC.com. And right on the front of the website, um, you'll be able to click on and get those three free training videos. And then if Perfect. you like what you see, they can book a 30-minute uh, free consultation with me, and I'd be thrilled to um, chat about how they can land corporate contracts. 
Of course. All right. So, again, for everybody, that's www.freedomstreetinc.com. A few great videos to take what we've uh, discussed today in even greater detail. I know I'm going to check them out myself. Kim Chernecki, I want to thank you so much from all of us here at the Business Creators Radio Show to all of you at Freedom Street, Inc. for joining us today. It's been an honor and an education. And it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Adam. I really loved our conversation. It was really fun. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And likewise. For everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing so that you thrive from the intersection of your brilliance and passion. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.